0: You've tuned in to a special episode of The Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes with Lauren Bugis." Hello, friends. I'm Dave Robison. And then I'm Ryan Stevenson, filling in for Brian Humphrey. And you're listening to a special showcase episode of The Roundtable Podcast, 20 minutes with
1: Mm -hmm. 20 minutes with is an opportunity for us to spend some time with the amazing authors and the creators that we get on the show. And then we can mine their brains for all these great ideas and run away (laughs) screaming with glee as we take those ideas and turn them into our own creative gasoline.
0: The image of mining somebody's brain. I, I, I see these great cranes and, and, mm. and things just lifting out this gold from somebody's brain. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. awesome. Ryan, uh, as always, sir, thank you for filling in for for the newly daddied Brian Humphrey. It's always a pleasure to have you as my wingman, sir. Hey, it's a pleasure to be in this chair again. I love it. <laughs> Brian's going to say, Dan, somebody else's butt has been squishing my my cushions here. I, I think
1: I should get like about a quarter of his closet space now. <laughs>
0: and some space by the
1: sink absolutely absolutely if i keep my toothbrush here you know
0: (laughs) who's gonna know who's gonna know that's right Well, Ryan, let me me introduce you to our guest host for this episode of 20 Minutes With. Um, I would love to tell you that our guest host is a Kraken-wrestling Zeppelin pirate queen, Uh, but sadly, that delicious moniker has been stricken from her Wikipedia page. Uh, (laughs) and, And that's probably just as well because the truth of her accomplishments invokes an even more profound sense of mythic wonder. Now, since the age of five, our guest host has been afflicted by the desire to write and tell stories. She wrote her first novel at 17. And now, despite the rumors that she's encased it in concrete and dropped it into the ocean off the coast of Johannesburg, that is still no small feat. Now, a few years later, she was getting paid to write kids' game reviews, which led to her time as a freelance journalist with a backstage pass to all the interesting places in South Africa. This was, in her words, the best writing education she could have asked for. Uh, She may not be a kraken wrestler, but (laughs) she has swam with great white sharks, Now, granted, it was only for .8 seconds, but when you're talking about (laughs) a 20-foot-long killing machine, I don't think quibbling over time is relevant. Uh, She is an author, a scriptwriter, a journalist, and a comics writer. And while she may not be a pirate queen, she has been named the Literary Queen of Cape Town by the Sunday Times. She's worked on a satirical political puppet show, the travelogue of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, kids' shows for Disney, and helped create South Africa's first full-length animated TV series. In 2010, she directed the award-winning documentary Glitter Boys and Ganglands, about Cape Town's biggest female impersonation beauty pageant. She's also the author of Moxieland, a dystopian consumatopia thriller, and the nonfiction work Maverick, Extraordinary Women from South Africa's Past. Her novel Zoo City won the Arthur C. Clarke Award and the Kitschies Red Tentacle Award for Best Novel and... This is awesome, Rai. She's currently adapting the novel for South African Mm. film producer Helena Spring, which we hope is going famously. Uh, She also writes comics, making her debut with All the Pretty Ponies for Vertigo's Strange Adventures. And on a personal note, Ryan, DC's Vertigo line is probably the best thing that's happened to comics since Jack Kirby in terms of just injecting nuclear awesomeness into the graphic storytelling vibe. And and the fact that she's playing in that playground, major street cred. Uh, In fact, she's been tapped by Bill Willingham himself. To contribute to his Eisner award-winning series, Fables, she's crafting a six-part adaptation of Rapunzel with a dark Japanese twist. Ha! Her new novel, *The Shining Girls*, about a time-traveling serial killer, is due out in spring 2013. And when she's not blazing new literary trails, she enjoys hanging out with her husband and daughter, having friends round for dinner and a movie, going on picnics, and hunting arms dealers with her pack of zombie attack dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the big chair at the round table all the way from South Africa, Lauren Bucus. Lauren, thank you so much for, for bringing your awesomeness to the round table and sharing some time with us. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. It's uh, weird to hear all those things like you've gone way deep in the stalker levels. It's very impressive.
0: <laughs> He's outside your window right now, actually.
2: I knew it.
0: That's, right. that's,
2: that's all right. That's why, that's why I have the zombie attack dogs.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I, I couldn't get too close. There were certain details that were closed to me. Um, it, Lauren, is there anything in there that I misread or, or that needs correction? Because I've noticed that sometimes my minions don't gather accurate data. Are we, are we fairly okay with that?
2: Yeah, no, I think that was good.
0: Awesome, uh, very cool. I have
2: to point out that the only reason there are all those things is because I will do anything to avoid writing
0: anything. <laughs> <laughs> Even swim with great white sharks. Yeah, completely. Wow, and yet somehow you've managed to fill the shelves and and DVD racks uh, with awesomeness, <laughs> which you know, apparently, no matter how much you don't want to do it, you're gonna one way or another.
2: Yeah, it's it's a it's a dark drive.
0: <laughs> uh, well, let's turn on some headlights for the rest of us here. We'll, we'll get there. Um, let's start our 20 minutes with Lauren Bucus. I'm going to set the timer here just to try and somehow aspire to that, that lauded time frame that we never, ever hit. Um, Lauren, uh, you did an interview with uh, Kahomodumo. Dumo. Uh, and during that interview, you made a reference to a philosophy that creativity is a reaction to crime and danger, and it's fed by it, and, and that it festers and dies without it. Now, you said in that interview that you're not completely down with that perspective of creativity, um, and neither are we, actually. But I got to ask, what, in your opinion, does feed creativity in terms of, I guess, a culture or a people or even as an individual? And, and how do you feed yours?
2: Well, I think being interested in the world. I think curiosity feeds creativity more than anything else. I think conflict definitely can feed creativity, um, and that that theory kind of comes from J.G. Ballard's *Cocaine Nights*, where you have a very utopian society on an island full of rich elites, and when kind of uh, some bohemian terrorists start staging attacks, it turns uh, it turns the, the whole community on to a certain extent. And I found that a very interesting theory. And I do certainly think that in South Africa, if you look at genre fiction here, if you look at the work being put out by writers like S.L. Gray or Lily Hearn or Charlie Human, there is a political, social aspect to that. And I think science fiction in general is often um, very much interested in socioeconomics and the political. And playing with big ideas is a way of getting at that. But in South Africa, it seems it's so in your face. You know, you you really can't walk down the street without being confronted with the legacy of apartheid um, and these really big social issues, which are so present um, and right there. You can't isolate yourself. So I think genre fiction in South Africa really kind of tackles that head on in in a very fun and entertaining way. Um, For me, I write about the stuff which pisses me off, uh, (laughs) the stuff which really infuriates me about the world. um, And I also use my writing as a way of getting at things which I don't understand. Um, in Zoo City, it's very much a novel about redemption and um, South Africa's big bugbear is crime. And you know, it, if you if you go to a dinner party with the South Africans, it'll inevitably turn into this big conversation about crime, and it's painfully boring. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to get at this passion and this this anger and this fear of crime, and and try and find some element of humanity there, and also look at reconciliation. I don't. I've struggled to reconcile. You know, if you stand on my toe, I ain't going to hold a grudge against you forever. <laughs> no, that's not true. But, you know, I do, I do struggle to forgive people who've done horrendous things, um, especially politically. Uh, people who've stolen from widows and orphans funds, for example. I'm like, well, get that guy. You know, like, get him in jail, punish him. No remorse, no redemption, no nothing. Just, you know, take that guy down. And it was a way of me kind of exploring why I had problems reconciling and why South Africa as a country is able to reconcile more easily with the absolute atrocities which have happened here under the apartheid regime and how we didn't tip into civil war and, you know, chaos and devastation. So Zoo City was a way of me playing with that. In The Shining Girls, I'm interested in violence against women and how we kind of glamorize that and why we glamorize it. And I'm also very, with The Shining Girls, I was also really interested in sports, Um, my Uh, romantic lead Dan is an ex homicide reporter. Who's become a sports journalist and it meant I had to get really deep into baseball and I don't understand sports. And it was a way for me to try and (laughs) come at it from the other angle and, and to try to get that understanding, to try and figure it out. And I think a lot of that comes from my journalistic background is getting into something and trying to figure it out and, and unpick it from the center.
0: Excellent. And you know, Mm -hmm. Lauren, Holy crap. I've heard so many reasons for why someone writes, uh, uh, and I think you just provided probably the best one. I, I write about things I want to understand more, or that I don't understand and want to. And and I think you've, you've really you've have seized on on uh, the ultimate power of creativity is having that curiosity because those horrors that you describe, you know, they're not unique. Well, South Africa's horrors and Johannesburg's horrors are unique to that environment, but every urban uh, community has their own things that are are beating at the doors of our civility. Uh, and so many people, the response to that is to shut down. Uh, Absolutely. And your response is the exact opposite, which I think contributes largely to to why your books are so intriguing and so compelling. That's awesome.
2: But I also think that science fiction allows you to do that because we do have issue fatigue. You know, if I have to watch one more story on the news, I don't watch the news first of all, but if I had to read one more you know, headline on Twitter about... You know the war in Afghanistan, or some little girl getting shot in the head because she dared to ask for an education, or an abortion, or anything. It, it's it's just too much. It's it's horrific, and it's it's too much to deal with. And I think that science fiction and genre fiction in general allow us a way of kind of short circuiting that issue fatigue with this kind of crazy big idea, which reinvents that issue in a new and interesting way, and allows you to really get at it because it's not real. It's not the real refugee crisis. It's not the real legacy of apartheid and race issues. It's people with magical animals, and that's more fun and more entertaining and more readable, um, and and it makes it more accessible. It it, it kind of it, it's a way of tricking us. Tricking our I brains. love that
1: phrase, issue fatigue. That's that's a really potent way of wording that. And I, I like the fact too that you're talking about the idea that a lot of that issue fatigue is generated by the medium and the media that kind of bombards us at every. Waking moment of our internet-based lives, like sunlight here, almost. Yeah, really. Uh, but but further than that, I I really appreciate the fact that you brought up the idea that science fiction allows us to make some of those concepts that we're striving to talk about more accessible because I think that's a very uh, powerful point that that science fiction holds on to better than almost any other genres is that we can take in a big, massive, heavy weighted issue and and find a way to boil it down to a, a means or a, a method of consumption that isn't so grating on the throat. Um, I'm curious about that writing process for you when you've got, you know, you do have a lot of very heavy issues in, in your novels and your work um, those heavy issues. I mean, you could deal a very heavy hand with those and I'm using the word heavy entirely too much. So I apologize. Uh, <laughs> Dude, that's, that's right. I think I'm right. Yeah, I, general, know. So. I, I, I should switch to deep, right? Um <laughs> So with these big, deep issues that, that um, a lot of stories tend to, to deal with, how cognizant of those issues are you when you start approaching your writing, when you start outlining your, your work or your stories? Are you aware of the issue that you're going to speak to right off the hop? Or do those issues kind of present themselves sometimes as you work through that character process or that plot process?
2: It, most of it is subconscious. Um, yeah. If I wanted to, uh, if I wanted a soapbox, you know, I have other avenues to do that kind of yeah. thing. I used to write a column for The Big Issue, which is a magazine sold by the homeless in South Africa for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And I could have my rant every month, and that was great. <laughs> so it's not so much, you know, I do write about stuff which pisses me off and the social issues which matter to me. But the, first and foremost, it's about telling a really great story mm-hmm. um, about really interesting characters and a story that will hopefully surprise and delight people. Um,
0: is that what drives you to the keyboard, though, Lauren? Or, or is it is it the, the fact that, oh, God, this pisses me off. I have to write a story about it.
2: No, it's it's. I have this idea for a story. And because of who I am, all the stuff that I'm interested in and all the stuff which makes me angry leaks through. Um, and, <laughs> you know, there, there are a couple of themes which come up all the time. You know, art is often a big theme in my work. Um, in Moxie Land, there was this kind of weird bio uh, gen- genetic, genetic artwork. It was like a cow turned inside out. And in Zoo City, uh, there's some artwork which uh, references which specifically hint at like deeper elements of the plot. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just the things that I'm interested in. And the, but first and foremost, it's about telling a great story. And I have the story idea. And then it becomes a way of playing with the things which make me angry and the social issues and everything
0: else. Okay. So
2: it's not a soapbox. It's, it's a story first. And, but of course, my ideology mm-hmm. comes
0: through. Right. Absolutely. And, and those characters that you evolve to, to, to people that story with, I mean, we, we hear time and again, you know, good, good literature is about characters. It's about good, good stories are peopled by good characters. How do you evolve your characters, Lauren? Is, is it, you know, I have a great story idea about this person. Uh, Do the people evolve as you explore the story? Can you sort of walk us through how your, your characters evolve into the fully fleshed dynamic beings that they are?
2: Yeah, I don't think story versus character is a real argument. You know, if you have a really great character, but all they're doing is sitting in a room, that's not enough. And if you have an amazing story, but it's peopled by empty characters, <clears throat> Michael Bay, then <laughs> you don't care.
0: Commentary by Lauren Bucus. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it has to be both. You have to have both. You have to have a great character doing interesting things um, or experiencing interesting things, which then change and shape them um so it's always it always they always kind of start together um and i I wouldn't begin to know how to separate that process out (laughs) i always know who my protagonist is and and kind of what's going to happen um or at least the major kind of highlights
1: is that to say then that you have some kind of outline or template right off the hop like you're you're ready to go from from day one and you know those mile markers that you're going to aim for as you write the story
2: there's a great el doctor quote about how a writing is like taking a road trip at night and i'm going to bastardize it slightly Yep. But you you know where you're leaving from. I'm driving from Cape Town to Johannesburg, so I know where I'm going to. I know I'm going to have to pass through pass through and the three sisters, and you know you know the major road marks that you're going to have to go mm-hmm. through. But the rest of the way, you are driving in pitch black, and you can see twenty feet ahead of you in the headlights, and you have to figure it out. And you might take an interesting detour, which might turn out to be more interesting. It might derail the whole trip. You might not end up in Johannesburg. You might end up in Pretoria. But actually, that's fine. The books never come out the way exactly the way I intended them, but I always know my beginnings and I always know my endings. Um, Zoo City became a slightly less, less harsh ending than it was originally intended. Um, oh, really? That was also because of the way a character evolved. Yeah. No, it was, it was supposed to be a real Hamlet ending, and it's not quite a Hamlet ending.
0: Uh, <laughs> Bodies everywhere. But um,
2: it was, um, I, I think what's, what's amazing for me is, when, is, is that moment of driving in the dark is, is when you surprise yourself when something happens in that subconscious moment, in that instant between your brain firing and the signal traveling down to your fingertips on the keyboard, and it shifts and it goes somewhere you didn't expect it to, and that for me is the magic of writing. And that's when I really love the writing process, because let's not get, let's not make any mistake. I normally hate writing. <laughs> uh, I'm not one of those writers who enjoys doing it. I like having written, but the actual writing is hard and horrible. But also, you know, amazing, and I'm not complaining. You know, it's like it's not the salt mines, it's it's and it's an incredible privilege to get paid to do what you love.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's
2: hard brain-draining work. Sure. I, I don't so I don't have a full outline, but I do I do know where I'm going. I always know my endings. Very cool.
0: Right on. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Lauren Bugas after this brief promotional break.
1: The fire has failed to light. The sun!
0: If the sun is dead, they will need the angel's word more than ever. So, this
2: world is in limbo, is it?
1: It is possible. Look, River, I came to warn you. You're in danger. Volpez thinks you're becoming emotion capable They're watching you. Forgive me, but are any of those artificial people about?
0: Ever wonder what the hapix actually was? What exactly did Aelsage create? Everything? I don't know. The avatars of Ale shall war amongst themselves, and each shall seek the last seer among us before the dawning of the seventh day. The angel has already sought me.
1: You can't believe it's actually the end days. Oh, really? Hapix, a podcast novel
2: by K.T. Brisky. Find out more by visiting www.ktbrisky.com. That's www. K-T-B-R-Y-S-K-I dot
0: Now, let's get back to the conversation with Lauren Bucus You've explored that process from many Perspectives from from mm-hmm. a journalist standpoint, from a from a literary novel standpoint, and from which is very cool the comics scripting standpoint. Yes, and and I, I was wondering, Lauren, if you would speak a little bit about the differences because I know that you know, we we've had writers on that have agonized over whether their story that they're pitching uh, it, it should be a novel or maybe it should be a graphic novel. And what in your experience are the differences between writing? for a a conventional or whether it's ebook or dead tree version novel and a comic book or a graphic format
2: writing for comics has been quite a tough learning curve. I really love dialogue and I can, you know, I, I I could write a book, which was all dialogue, but you know, it would be, there would be snappy one-liners, but there would also be a lot of uh, kind of, you know, long monologuing and you just can't do that in a comic book. You have two Mm -hmm. sentences, you know, and And you have to make those two sentences count. And I think working in animation, working in kids' animation in particular, um, where you have a 14-minute episode or an 11-minute episode, you don't have time to waste, you don't have time to mess around. You've got to think filmically, you've got to get in and out as fast as possible. Um, and you have to explain things as clearly as possible while also, you know, obviously having all that rich, deep subtext that five-year-olds demand of their television (laughs) program. But, um, you know, so, so that was, that was a great way of learning how to do that. Um, and with comics, obviously you can deal with a lot more kind of subtext and of course you can have narration, which is lovely, but it's, it's been, you have to be able to think really visually and you have to be able to describe exactly what the artist has to draw, um. I think what's really messed me up with comics uh, and has been the most difficult thing to learn is just what you can do with panel layout. You know, the artist I'm working with in Miranda is just phenomenal and he really pushes the layout. And it becomes quite filmic, you know, you can have slices of time. Um, and kind of instant beats of, of a moment and then a full page spread and um, just the movement between panels and that's not something I can easily visualize. So often, you know, I send him the script and we'll kind of workshop that together. With our amazing editor Shelley Bond, who's been really good at holding my hand throughout the entire process. <laughs> How do you determine what your story should be? Um, you know, I, I, I often thought that Zoo City would have made a great comic and would have actually been easier to to write because I wouldn't have had to write about what Zinzi, the heroine sloth, was doing in every single scene. You know, <laughs> I, 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 it was, she would he would be there on her back, and you would be able to see, and it would be it would be much easier to explain. But yeah, it's it's just about thinking visually, being able to. Uh, drive the story forward really fast you know comics these days are 20 pages long and that's not a lot of space to actually tell a story
0: but you but there's also there's also that visual element as you say and and having having worked in film and animation you I imagine you have some of a a set of, of visual tools that maybe the rest of us don't have do you do you find that or did you find Towards the end of the series, as, as the writing evolved, were you infusing more description into your stories? Was it a more structured environment, or did it remain that, that big dialogue between you and the artist and the editor?
2: Uh, I think I was actually more heavy on the description in the beginning when Inaki really? and I were still feeling each other out. And you know, by, by the end of it, issue six, and we're about to, uh, we're doing final edits on that at the moment, Inaki's doing the final layouts. Um, you know, I trust him completely, and I and and we have got into a dialogue where we really understand each other and where we're coming from. And I think what what is amazing about working in comics and animation and film is collaboration and allowing someone else to take your idea and your words and to run with them and to play and see how they reinterpret it. You know, there's nothing more astonishing than other minds. It and. And having someone else take something of yours and and change it and make it more more interesting and re and filter it through their minds is just amazing. It it blows my mind every single time.
0: <laughs> just to see
2: what anarchy does, it's awesome.
0: Which kind of leads me to uh, a question that's very near and dear to my heart. I'm intrigued by the trend in in contemporary fiction with the the shared world model, yeah. where where somebody here's my world. Write a story in it, and anthologies are built around this. Uh, and, and there are lots of shared world communities out there where writers are, are throwing in stories. I, I know Angry Robot did that with uh, Adam Christopher's uh, Empire State and has received an amazing response in all s- sorts of medium. Have you ever engaged, other than, other than with fables, uh, have you engaged in any sort of a, a shared world or collaborative writing process? And if so, wh- what did you discover about your own writing through that?
2: Well, I mean, every time I've written for an animated TV show, I have. Because, um, you know, uh, The Adventures of Pax Africa I co-created, so that was my baby. But the others were playing with other people's characters and in their world. Uh, Flory's Dragons and Mook, you had to really get into the heads of those characters and find that voice. Right. But again, like just, you know, seeing what the animators do with that and how they reinterpret that is really exciting. Uh, We did have a competition around Moxieland where we had um, people basically had to write uh, stories set in that world. And the three winning writers, I asked them to contribute to Zoo City. And actually, three of the chapters in Zoo City are written by other people. Oh, oh really? wow. Very cool. Yeah, it, it was very cool. And it was also, the one chapter was, it was absolutely brilliant. It's by this guy, Charlie Human, whose novel is coming out next year called Apocalypse Now Now,
1: which is a very <laughs> South
2: African expression. It's like, oh, I'll get to that now now, you know, I'll get, which means I'll get to that sometime, not now right. at all. So, um, so Charlie wrote this amazing chapter in zoo city which basically debunks my entire universe oh my god (laughs) and it's just brilliant which is exactly which is perfect because it's a psychological paper looking at how one of the major magical phenomena in the book might just be a hallucination by crazy people um and it's very freudian and very kind of up its own ass academia and it's just perfect it's pitch perfect and that's exactly the way the world works and i wanted to have these kind of you know that that None of the phenomena are exactly explained and you have to bring your own theories to the table. And that's exactly what he did. It was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. (laughs) And and again, I I wouldn't have thought of that. And I think what's amazing about, you know, working in a workshop environment or or playing in a shared world or, you know, just collaborating with someone on something is what other people, again, just what other people come up with and how you can learn from that and what they do well and what they don't. And it's very exciting.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree Hmm. more. Yeah. I'm curious about something, and this is a very simple question, I hope, but it's right. it's one that when we're talking about collaborative environments or environments where you're getting contributions from other creative minds and everyone's sort of putting their own ingredients into the soup at the same time, do you ever find that your knee-jerk reaction is to be defensive of something that you've come up with or or you know, if you were to take an extreme case of what Charlie wrote for you, your your knee-jerk reaction, have you ever felt that moment where it's, oh, you know, I, I want to defend this. I want to fight back against this this concept that he's pitched?
2: I think more so with the animated TV show that I worked on Mm -hmm. just because there were so many of us working on it, but it's also, you have to learn to be able to let go of your ego, which is really Mm -hmm. difficult, but you know, if somebody comes up with something better, then I'll, I'll (laughs) I'll, I'll absolutely, I'll, I will absolutely fight if it's not better. And so it's it's the same with working with an editor. If they change a line and it's not right, I will dig in my heels and say, no, I'm sorry. It has to stand. Mm -hmm. Um, But if, you know, if somebody is improving your work or making things more interesting, then that's amazing. That's a privilege. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and that's why I asked that question is I, I, you know, As writers, we are going to be subjected to to that collaborative process no matter what. If we have an editor, we have a publisher, we have a best friend who reads the thing and gives us an opinion, you've invited that commentary on your piece. And I know that a lot of the more younger, and I use younger as to state the time that they have been writing. The people that are listening to this show right now and gleaning writing tips from it are probably saying to themselves that that statement you made let go of your ego that's such an important (laughs) statement uh and a very difficult lesson to learn if you from my experience it's one of the most difficult lessons a writer can learn so I'm I'm glad to hear that someone like yourself who's been in so many different collaborative environments has, has still had to go through that opening the car door to get in the car in the first place kind of step
2: yeah I would like to dive through the window, but you know, <laughs> last time I tried that, I smashed my head. Uh, oh,
1: God.
0: Feet first—that's the rule of diving through car windows. Ah, yep.
1: <laughs>
0: See, we're even giving our guest host some helpful tips <laughs> in that's how great. to eject from a car. That's awesome. <laughs> And, and and as much as I would love to continue mm. this discussion uh, uh, I I see that the the time uh the timer on my desk has been ravaged by zombie dogs I don't know where those <laughs> came from uh, <laughs> Can but I imagine? yeah really but apparently uh, it also means that we're out of time so uh, Lauren thank you so much this this has mm-hmm. been uh, a, a delight and a long time coming, damn it, but we pulled it off. The internet <laughs> gods have smiled upon us and, and at last we've had our 20 minutes with Lauren. Thank you so much.
2: It's an absolute pleasure. You know, this is where you realize you haven't pressed the record
0: button. Oh, oh God. <laughs> See, and instantly my heart skips a beat. I've broken out into a cold sweat, but no, I've I've hit every record button there is to record. Uh, uh, so so I, I think we're good. I think we're good. So. Awesome.
2: Well, thanks guys. That was
0: awesome. Uh, that was good times. Ryan, yeah. what, what are you taking away from this, uh, from this 20 minutes with sir? Oh man, I got to get
1: more into the collaborative process. I'm really excited about it. And it's, um, it's an interesting angle that I'd like to start exploring more.
0: There's a lot out there. There's actually a website yeah. called sharedstoryworlds.org. I do believe mm. uh, that is all about those communities that are out there on the internet for that specific type of thing. Here's the world, write your stories. Uh,
1: And that's a, that's a really neat process. And and of course, like every other time we do a 20 minutes with, I'm left with this uh, big sense of my own personal laziness that, that the number (laughs) of things that Lauren has done, is just stunning to me. And here I am looking at a pizza crust thinking that's all I've done today.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, the inspiration from somebody having blazed the trail is, is what we need to take from this. That's right. And, and for me, it was that reminder that curiosity is the biggest fuel for creativity and, and the notion of attacking a story because you don't know uh, uh, the, the the those thematic elements, you know, about crime or about heartbreak or about whatever the theme is, that you go into it with that hunger, those what I call green teeth. Of 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 desire to learn and understand and using that writing experience as a process for expanding your own awareness, I, I can only I, I know from experience that that infuses everything that you do with a sense of wonder uh, and excitement, and that kind of fuel is is invaluable uh, for the writer or for any other uh, uh, profession or career. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Yes, uh, friends. Can I come back to the mining metaphor? Uh, Of course, please, by all means. You know, it would
2: be amazing if you were able to, like, mine someone's head and pull out pure gold, but what you actually pull out is, like, oily, gunky, gooey muck, (laughs) and you'd have to sift through that stuff and try and find some glimmer of gold, which might be false gold, and... Just work the hell out of that to try and actually get something decent,
0: see, I'm picturing a mad scientist lab with bubbling beakers and and ovens and dissection tables as we as we tear apart that that goo uh, and lift out a single strand of glittering goodness. Yes, that's true. that's true. and and we trust our listeners uh, will be able to take the goo that we wrested from you, <laughs> Lauren uh, and, and distill those those golden threads. Um, and friends, thank you, as always, for tuning in. You you complete the circuit for us. You are why we are doing this. If you enjoyed this as much as we did, and I know you did. I don't even yeah. have to ask. But uh, uh, now that you're riding that that creative high, uh, put that to use and spread the word. Let the world know about the awesomeness that is the Roundtable Podcast. Uh, you can find us out on Twitter, at Writers Podcast. Uh, we're on Facebook, at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Uh, a, a review on iTunes, itunes is never refused uh and so many of you have been very generous in your in your comments and praise out there we're so grateful for that uh a comment on the post uh uh, keeps the discussion going and lets us know that you're digging what we're doing or that we need to make some adjustments uh so far i haven't heard anybody saying dave shut the hell up with the introductions already Uh, uh but i'm waiting for that comment to come down the pipe um Now friends, stay tuned, in just a couple of days, we're gonna have Lauren back and we are gonna workshop an amazing story and we're gonna experience that collaborative, uh, creative, shared creative mojo uh, uh, which is the hallmark of the Roundtable Podcast and our quest for literary gold. So do come back. But in the meantime, between now and then, you've got a couple of days to kill. Ryan, suggestions, my friend?
1: Yeah, you know me. I like to keep it simple. You got to keep hydrated, baby. <laughs>
0: That's right. Keep the bottle of water close, That's so right. you do, so you don't dry out, and make sure your pen is full as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, uh, good master Brian, who I pro- who will be rejoining us uh, 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 soon, uh, would admonish everyone to go right? And I will tell you, dear friends, you find what you're looking for. Uh, uh, so look for wow. Set your sights for the top shelf. Whatever you're looking for, you will find it. So until those couple of days pass, you guys stay cool, stay frosty. We will talk to you very, very soon. Bye bye. This episode is copyrighted 2012 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non commercial, share alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented hepcats of BroTown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast or just send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.